0: That's what this is all about. It's what the gospel is all about. It's what the celebration is all about. That he is worthy. We're not. He is. But because he's worthy and because he loves us so much, he makes us worthy. And that's worth celebrating. Easter weekend is really about a comeback. Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And I don't know about you, but I love, absolutely love a good comeback. Now, that can have a couple of different meanings. It can mean coming from behind for victory in an athletic event. It can mean coming from disaster in a business to flourishing. It could also mean kind of a snarky remark back to someone. I like them all personally, but uh, now that some of you don't like me, (laughs) just remember you have to love me to get to heaven. (laughs) Actually, no, you just have to love him. But I love a good comeback. And I'm a sports guy. I love sports. Um, Back when I could actually move, I played them. (laughs) But I, I love good comebacks. If I were to say... A miracle on ice. Does that ring a bell with anybody? The year was 1980. Winter Olympics. Lake Placid, New York. USA men's hockey team came back and defeated the mighty Russian hockey team. That wasn't the gold medal. They actually had to win one more to get the gold. But it was the memorable one. It was the miracle that took place. 1988, baseball, World Series, Los Angeles Dodgers against the Oakland A's. The A's were favored, and one of the Dodgers' best player, Kirk Gibson, had injured himself to where he could barely walk and could not run. So he was not expected to play in the series, So the chances of the Dodgers winning seemed pretty slim. And in the first game of the World Series, Gibson, who couldn't play, went down out of the dugout into the clubhouse and started trying to warm up. And he sent word late in the game to his manager, Tommy Lasorda, and said, tell Tommy I got one swing in me. If he needs somebody at some point, I got one swing in me, into the game. Lasorda calls Gibson and the announcers couldn't believe it. And he could barely walk up to the batter's box. It did not look pretty. And he was going against Dennis Eckersley who was the best reliever in baseball that year. He was good and he was cocky. In fact, he would strike batters out and often shoot them down afterwards. Gibson took some pitches. Two of them were strikes. If you're not familiar with baseball, you only get three. And he hadn't swung the bat yet, but remember he said, I got one swing. That next pitch came and he took his one swing and hit a game-winning home run. But that wasn't all. For you see, in baseball, for that run to count, the person who hits it has to get Around to all the bases and back home. And so he did a run I'm somewhat familiar with lately. That was ugly. And looked painful. But he looked joyous. Because of the comeback that had taken place. There are all kinds of comebacks that we could look at. But one of my favorites is one I was involved in. It was the first year that I was a coach of a team by myself. It was none of your business how many years ago it was. (laughs) I was the junior varsity basketball coach, Andrews High School, Greensboro, North Carolina. And I had a really good team. Of my starting five, four of them were 6'3 and over. That's really good in case you don't know that especially for junior varsity. And I was so much enjoying preseason practice workouts. And was just smiling about how fun it was going to be to coach. And then a week before the first game, the varsity coach said, "Um, I'm going to take some of your guys because they're better than mine. I thought, "Eh, okay, it's going to take my big center," he said. "These are the four I'm taking. There's only five starters. He took all of them that were six-three and above. Left me with a five-ten center and two guys who had never played on a team before. We played our first game a week after that against one of the best teams in our conference. So we geared up and we talked about it and how we could still have a great season and I gave them the old David and Goliath, you know, let's go get them speech and we went out and got crushed. I mean, it was ugly. We got beat by, I don't remember how much, I just remember it was over 20 points. Here's the worst part. The game's over and I all of a sudden realized we play them again one week from tonight at their place so we have to travel to get beat. So we worked that week and I told them stuff I didn't believe, like you can do this and um, tried to convince myself of it. And we got there and I was just praying. I had told Jody when I left for the game, I said, I just hope we don't get beat as bad as we did the first time. Yeah, I know you, you're impressed, aren't you? <laughs> We got out and we stayed in it. We were not down too bad at halftime. In the second half, we, we kept hanging in there. And My thing is, we hang in there long enough, something could happen. And Sure enough, fourth quarter, we inched up a little closer and a little closer. And the guys started to believe. And we got within one, but the other team had the ball. They're bringing it down. We played good defense, got it away from them. I stood up, called timeout with just a few seconds left. And I'm like, this is just like on TV. I'm going to draw up this beautiful play. They're going to do it. It's going to go in, and I mean, they're going to carry me off. (laughs) A guy can dream. We had time out. I grabbed the board. I drew up a play, went out. They ran the play. That was the most amazing thing. The second most amazing thing is it worked. It had two picks involved in my Point guard, his name was Chip, came off that second pick wide open. The pass came to him perfectly. He rose up. I can still see him on the right side. Rose up. The ball left his hand. I'm on the bench. And just like you see on TV, I was already, yes! Okay, scripture is Luke chapter 24. <laughs> no, really, Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses. Hey, that was already a comeback. Jesus died. That's not much to celebrate until we realize what came next. And that's where this picks up. He had already been beaten to within an inch of his life. Already nailed to the cross and died by one of the most cruel forms of death that any human has ever imagined. And those around him couldn't believe it. In fact, three words come to my mind when I get to this story right before Easter. The first word is the word dead because Jesus died. It wasn't, uh, he didn't just pass out and got revived in the cool of the tomb. He died. Dead. Dead. Their savior, the one they were following, some of them had given up their professions working for the government or the family business and other things to follow him for three years. And now he's dead. So their hopes and their dreams, what they thought might happen was dead also. You know what that's like to have a dream die? The second word is the word devastated. I mean, because of what took place, With God, it just devastated them. Because I'm sure they were asking what I would have been asking, which was, now what? I gave up everything for this and he's gone. Now what? What do we do at this point? Devastated. They thought he was going to become king and they had already been lobbying for certain positions in the kingdom. I told mom I was going to get this. Now what? They were devastated. And the third word is the word defeated. <laughs> I mean, if your dreams die and you're devastated, you're defeated. And it did look hopeless. After all, he died. Did I say that? He died and it was buried. And then Easter Sunday came. Luke chapter 24 in the New Testament going to read verses 1 through 12 I'm reading it in the English standard version if you've got it on your phones read it along in whatever version you have but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now this was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other women. Who, with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Dead, devastated, defeated, and now marveling and probably still wondering. For you see, Jesus didn't stay dead. So if he wasn't dead now, that meant there was still hope. And if there's still hope, there's no reason to be devastated. And if I'm not devastated because I have hope, then I'm not defeated yet. Which means this is just a pause before the victory. The comeback. What did it do for us? What did it provide for everyone? Well, the first thing is the comeback that Jesus made took us from life, or excuse me, from death To life. That provision is there now. For being dead in our own sins. Being dead trying to get things done on our own. And failing miserably. To life. New life. In Christ. I mean. That's enough for the celebration to take place. New life in Christ. There is a caveat though. And that is. You need to accept that life. You need to accept his forgiveness personally. It doesn't come by osmosis just from your parents, grandparents, spouse, kids, or good friend. I have a great Christian heritage from great grandparents to grandparents to parents. I still had to accept it personally. So did my kids and my grandkids. It is a personal life, but it's new life in Christ. Secondly, the comeback moves us from being devastated to joyful. Devastated, hope is lost to joyful. (laughs) To get this picture, here's a small sample. Think of Christmas morning or whenever your family opens gifts. Think of a young one, two, three, four, five-year-old. Because they have the best expressions at Christmas. Teenagers, no offense, they have lousy expressions at Christmas because they're just too cool to show too much joy at that point. But little kids, you, you, you know if you hit a home run on the gift as soon as they see it, right? Well, those of you... Who, like me, are cruel and put it in the wrong box, just for the fun of it. <laughs> Pray, my, ki- my kids have had to go through counseling, but um, <laughs> that look on a kid's face when they unwrap it, but it's in a box for an electric drill. <laughs> and they're like, "What?" And you tell them, "Well, go ahead and open it." And then to see that change in expression. I mean, that's a little bit of what this might have been. Devastated. He's dead. He's gone. My hopes and dreams, it's all gone. But now he's alive. There is hope. I don't need to be devastated anymore. I may not understand it yet, but I've now got joy because I'm no longer devastated. And the true joy comes because of the forgiveness that Jesus has already given you. You may not realize it, but Jesus has already forgiven all of us. On the cross, while dying, he said, Father, forgive them. That includes us. It's an amazing thing. It included the ones who had beat him, it included Judas who betrayed him, it included Peter who denied him, it included those who had pounded the nails. Forgive them. And joy comes out of knowing we are forgiven. It also brings us joy to realize we have been personally invited into this new life. Not only do you have to accept it personally, but there is a personal invitation with your name on it. Sent from Jesus. Say, yeah, but I haven't followed. Well, go back a little bit in the story while he's doing the crucifixion there were two people hung on each side of him both deserving the punishment they were receiving and one of them accepted Christ while dying on the cross and Jesus said you're going to be with me forever I might mess with your theology a little but I mean he, he had never gone to church he had never prayed he had never done the right thing From all we know. But Jesus personally. Brought him in. And he offers that to all of us. If that doesn't bring joy. I don't know what does. From death to life. From devastated to joy. And the comeback. Involves and means. That instead of being defeated. We are victorious. I don't know about you. But if I get a choice between defeated. And victory, I'll take victory. I don't enjoy defeat. Even playing games with the family. We don't show mercy to little ones in our family. (laughs) They got to learn. Now the bad news is that means when they do learn, they don't show any mercy to grandpa either. But instead of being defeated, we're victorious or can be through him. This victory comes through Christ, not on our own, but through Christ and him alone. But again, if we accept it personally, we have to accept it from him. He's already given it. Go back to the Christmas present. Do you really have the present if you haven't opened it? Forgiveness is already yours. But if you haven't said yes. Then you haven't received. Though it's been given. We have to accept it personally. And you see all of this comeback. From death to life. From devastated to joyful. From defeated to victorious. All of that. The comeback leads to changed lives changed lives starting with our own and then moving on to others because it impacts others not just us when our life is changed i mentioned earlier in the service about our our denomination and our church individually being a part of missions around the world awesome stuff well one of those countries is the democratic republic of congo it holds a special place in and heart because it was the country on the border where our kids served for a while in Central Africa Republic. Both countries have some real similarities, one of those being that it's a dangerous place. And uh, just traveling down the road, you can be stopped at gunpoint or machete and just money demanded, we won't let you go on unless you pay the toll. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean the Pritzker you know, told between here and O'Hare. I mean, the real, real stuff. Like all you have. Well, on one occasion in the Dominican, there was a farmer by the name of Roger who got stopped by an armed group. There were five men against him. They demanded money from him and he didn't have any money. So they kidnapped him. And they didn't just kidnap him. They kidnapped 12 other people as well. And you can imagine how fearful that was. And the 13 of them were put into a small, grotesque grass hut deep in the jungle in in DRC. The rebels then contacted Roger's family and told them they would let him live and release him if they gave him $2,000. Now, we might think, well, man, you ought to be able to raise that from family and friends. Go fund me. This is DRC. $2,000, that's like a year's worth of money or more for some of them. His family didn't have the money. They were trying to raise it, borrow funds in hopes of seeing Roger again. And he explained, we were in a desperate situation thinking only about death. We were told every day, every day, if your relatives don't send the money, you will be killed tomorrow. Every day, wake up. If your, if your family doesn't send the money, we're going to kill you tomorrow. And imagine how that would wear on you. Days turned into weeks. And on day 20, the unimaginable happened. In the Dominican Republic, there was a Jesus film team. They take the film of depicting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and go show it and it's translated into languages. And team number 26, as they were known, they were unaware of the 13 who were in captivity. As it turned out, where God led them to go and show this film was very near that grass hut. And even more amazing, the rebels came and watched the film. They watched it from start to finish and the message that John the Baptist gave inviting people to repent and accept life in Christ really got to them. As soon as the film finished, the rebels went back to the grass hut, covered the victim's eyes with handkerchiefs and took them to the main road and released them. Roger said, we don't know what made them want to watch the film. But we know it's the way the Lord used to free us. They said they heard the word of God and were convicted about their deeds. And they heard a voice telling them, accept the Lord today and you will be saved. By the way, that same voice is talking in here this morning. Before being kidnapped, Roger said he was a nominal Christian. Attending church sporadically, lacking a real personal relationship with God. But he said... After that experience it transformed him. He said, Now I know our Lord is in the saving business that he can be trusted. My faith is grown. I'm ready to serve the Lord all the days of my life. How about you? Oh, you haven't been kidnapped. But the death, devastation, and defeat we know. Because of the comeback, our words change. Our words change from dead, devastated, and defeated to life, joy, and victory. You remember the basketball game I was coaching? Chip. The play worked. The pass went to him. I was in victory stance, ready to be carried off the floor. And his shot was one of the prettiest I have ever seen. The release, I can still see it. I believe his jersey was 15. Not, I think that was right. And it went up and clanged off the rim and we lost. Oh, thanks for taking us down, Pastor. I mean, that's not a comeback. Well, actually it was. I mean, we, we got beat 20 some and now yeah, I'm not into moral victories either. But here's the message. We lost that game. The opportunity was there and we lost. The opportunity is here this morning for you. I don't want you to lose. I want you to accept for yourself. I can't do it for you, neither can those who invited you or are sitting near you. It's your choice. What will your choice be this morning? I'm going to ask you as heads bowed and eyes closed. That if you're here this morning and go, man, pastor, I need to come back. You may have been following Christ for a while, but you just need that encouragement and reminder of life, joy, victory. Or maybe you knew this story, but you've walked away from it. And this morning, you need to make the comeback to turn back to him and accept what you already know. Or maybe it's brand new. You haven't heard this before. But you're ready to take that first step. You don't have to understand it all to say yes. To take that next right step if you're in one of those categories this morning, I want to be praying very specifically for you this morning and this week in particular. I'm just going to ask you with your eyes still closed without looking around at anybody else, if you're in that category of looking for a comeback, would you just raise your hand right now? God bless you, many of you. Just hold it there a second so that I can see. Thank you. God bless you. You can put them down. Jesus You're awesome. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for the greatest comeback in history. For a comeback that's not dependent on a coach or a shooter. It's not dependent on the clock. But you've already won. And you've given us the path to victory. Lord, I pray for those who need that encouragement and reminder. May they feel your presence right now. This week, may they be encouraged and have joy returned. Lord, I pray for those who they've heard this before, but they've just not turned back to you. I pray that right now, and especially these that have raised their hand, that they would turn to you and say, yes, I'm coming back. And Lord, I pray for those who this is a a new thing. I pray that if they're making that decision this morning, that they would really sense your joy at their decision. And Lord, there are probably some that are here this morning going, "Ah, I'm not sure yet. I pray, Lord, that this week you would just keep ministering to them through your spirit. Give them the courage to talk to somebody about this or to ask some questions to me or to those sitting around them or someone else that they trust so that their comeback can be complete. Oh, Lord, thank you for coming back for us. Thank you for being with us and going forward with us as we go from here. In Jesus' name. I plead these things. Amen.